Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Peter Gabbett Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Timothy Hanks, and today is August 25th, 2020, which means I'm on day 255 in a row of 365 promised episodes that brings you unedited, unscripted, improv, news, movies, music, sports, food, entertainment, and all things except politics. The Blazer game, folks. Oh my gosh, what an embarrassment. Now, I stopped watching the game when the Blazers were down 15 to nothing to start the game. I was done. I was it. That was it. I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, 15 to nothing? I don't want to see how much worse this gets. Well, it got worse. At one point, they were down by 30. And at the beginning of the game, before I saw any of this, before I even witnessed the 15 to nothing start by the Lakers, I predicted a Blazers loss of 20 points. I promise you. I said it out loud like 100 times. I said it to my wife, I bet you anything the Blazers will lose today by 20. And they lost by exactly 20. I should have put like a million bucks down. On my exact prediction, of course, most people probably guessed that they would lose by 20 as well. So maybe I wouldn't have made that much money. But yes, it was 135 to 115. The Blazers played like absolute shit. And what do you know? Lillard left the game with an injury to his leg. So now he's got a dislocated finger, an injured leg, a team that sucks. I mean, just sucks playing behind him. And a Lakers team that seems to be unstoppable with LeBron James having a new fire lit inside him because of this civil unrest that continues across the country when known criminals commit crimes and then get shot by the police and somehow they become martyrs and everybody across the entire U.S. wants to protest for the death of them even though they were career criminals and they deserve what they got. The Blazers, I predict, will also not win Game 5, and will lose, and that will be it for them. And like I said before, I'm proud of them for winning one game, 100%. Can't believe they even did that. Can't believe they made it to the playoffs anyways. Can't believe they won the first game. They will not win again. The Lakers will go on to more than likely ridiculously win the NBA championship because that's what all the stupid fans of the purple and gold want And that's what they just will make happen because they want, that's what they want. Everybody, they, when I say they, I mean the organization, I mean the management, I mean the owners, the NBA itself, the fans, the people, people don't even care about basketball. They, for some reason, want the Lakers to win and that's what's going to happen. I hate saying it so much. I hate, I hate, I hate the Los Angeles Lakers, especially LeBron James. Well, folks, I predicted a 20-point loss for the Blazer game. Now I'm going to predict a two-run win by the Padres against the Mariners tonight starting at 6.10 p.m. I believe the Padres will win 7-5. to five. Quote me on it. I'm predicting it. If it happens, I'm going to have to assume I actually have the book from Back to the Future 2 that Biff got that tells him all the scores of the future games, even though 
the book ended in 2015, which means, of course, I wouldn't have any of the future scores. But either way, if I'm correct on this, I have Biff's ability to predict the future of major sports scores, and I need to start betting in Vegas 100%. I'm telling you, folks, I cannot believe I was spot on yesterday with the score. Now I'm saying 7-5, to Padres over Mariners. Not that I'm happy about this, although at this point, at this stage in the game, it looks like the Mariners are not going anywhere. They are not going to make the playoffs. You can quote me on that. I promise you they will not make the playoffs this year, which means the win today is more important for the San Diego Padres. Now, as they are a second, a close second in my favorite teams in the MLB, I'm going to have to go for the Padres this evening because, like I said, the win is more important to them. I need the Padres to go up and be 19-12. and 12. That will set them into a probable wild card position going forward as there are only, I mean, 30 or less games left in the season. We know it's a shortened season. There's only going to be 60 total games. Usually there's over 100. So before you even get sick of baseball like we normally do, it'll already be over and the postseason will begin, which means every single game counts. And I'm predicting 7-5 win by the Padres tonight. Watch the game. It starts at 6-10. I don't know about you, but I get garbage automated calls all friggin' day. And almost all of them have a 971 or 503 area code, which means they're from Portland, Oregon. Now, I used to live there, yes, for 25 years, in fact. But I've actually had a cell phone for more years living in California than I had in Oregon, and yet I still get these calls that are automated so you can't get off the call list. You just receive another call over and over and over unless you walk through the million steps to actually get to a person and then have them take you off the call list, which I'm not willing to do because I'm always in the middle of something and I just don't, I, I don't feel like I should be punished for getting these stupid spam calls. One of them in particular is a call I receive at least once a day, sometimes three or four that my warranty for my vehicle has expired and they're allowing me an allotted amount of time to renew my warranty for my vehicle in Oregon, which I don't have, which I never had because I never even owned a vehicle that had a warranty in Oregon in my entire life. So I don't know how this is possible, but I'm sick of it and I want it to stop. And it's automatic so every time I try and press a button or talk to anybody, it does nothing. It just walks me through a process of going from one automated thing to the next until I never reach a person and I it wants me to like enter a credit card number. Well, I'm not going to do that. I don't even know what this is. Sure. Oh, yeah. Just, just cold call me in the middle of the day and I'll give you my credit card number. No problems at all. What else do you want? Social security? Done. Yep. Birth certificate? I'll fax it to you. No. This is garbage. Why would you suspect that I'm so dumb that I'm just going to start serving up my credit card number over the phone? I just, I can't take it anymore. From now on, 
if I even see a 503 number that's not already plugged into my phone because of somebody I know from up north, then I'm not answering it. So if you decide to call me and you think I might not have your phone, your phone number already added into my contacts on my cell phone, I will not answer. So don't expect to ever hear from me because I have to assume it's the same old thing telling me about my warranty expiring or telling me I've won a free night stay at a Marriott hotel because I'm one of their favorite customers, even though I've never stayed at Marriott in my entire life. I've only ever stayed at Hilton Hotels and the affiliates because my wife worked for the Hilton for like seven years. Why would I stay anywhere else? I used to get hotels across the entire globe, any Hilton I wanted, for 40 bucks a night, no matter where it was. Now, I'm telling you, you can't beat that. I'm sorry, Marriott, you can't beat that. Not to mention the fact that they're basically the same thing, except I never got a discount for the Marriott. And if they say it's free, it's not. It comes with some sort of stipulation where I have to sit through a three-hour seminar and learn about timeshares or some crap. I'm not down for that. Now, at this point, folks, I have lost all hope that I will be back at a farmer's market selling my delicious food through my business barbecue anytime soon. I just feel like it's, it's out the window. There's no chance. It's done. My company's bankrupt. It's over for me. I'm finished. So I've been thinking about getting a job back in my old industry as a bartender. However, when discussing this idea with fellow bartenders that are currently working in the industry as we speak, they are telling me it is ridiculous. Instead of bartending now, since nobody can sit directly at a bar top in restaurants at all, in fact, you can't even sit inside, they have everyone sitting in tents outside or in some kind of covered area, you are not a bartender anymore. You are a glorified server who then also has to make the drinks for the other servers who get more tables than you do because they're servers and they get six table sections and you're a bartender and you have to have time to concentrate your efforts on making drinks for the other people who serve tables in the restaurant, even though you traditionally would do that and serve an entire bar top at the, whole, at the same time, which meant you made more money than the servers because when you go into a bar, as a drinker, and you just want to have a quick shot, you walk in, you go directly to the bar, you get a drink from the bartender, you tip the bartender, and you leave. But servers have to wait for tables to sit down. Then they order food, because they're not sitting at a table to drink, they're sitting at a table to eat. Then you got to wait for them to have their discussions with each other, and get their appetizers, and snack on their salad, and finally eat half of their meal and ask for a box for the other half and then ask for the check, and then have you split it, and then all these things before you finally get money off of a tip from them, which means it's absolutely not as worth it as being a bartender in a traditional setting. However, now it's more worth it to be a server because you get six tables and you have a bartender making your drinks for you still who you have to tip out measly couple bucks each night, and this bartender has three tables total gets whatever money gets off tip out, which is garbage, and they've been telling me they've made, for the most part, around 40 
$8 a shift. Now, when I worked at Fox as a bartender, I made on a minimum 100 bucks a day. No matter what, I made 100 bucks. If I didn't make 100 bucks, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible day. But if I made two or 300 bucks, it was a good day. And making 40 bucks a shift to be a glorified server, that's not in the cards for me. I'm not into that. I don't want that lifestyle. That's, that doesn't sound like something I desire. Now, will I do it if I have to? Absolutely. But if they reinstate this additional unemployment bonus check money, and it's not 600 anymore, now it's 300 but they're doing it for the state of California because everybody here is lazy and wants more money and it's a democratic state full of people that just don't want to do anything and want to get free stuff. I will accept that 300 bucks on the unemployment bonus because right now I'm getting nothing. A handful of nickels, which I didn't even ask for. They automatically extended my unemployment, which I also don't want because I want to go back to work but I want to work for my own business, the one that I've built up for the last three years only to have a landslide of shit occur regarding the COVID-19 and completely wipe out and destroy everything I have built up. This is crazy. I know all I'm doing right now is ranting. I'm like Peter Griffin. You know what really grinds my gears? Yes, what really grinds my gears is the fact that bartenders now are glorified servers that make $40 a shift and still have to make all the drinks for the servers that get six tables sections and tip them out 2 or $3 a shift. I'm not down for that. I tell you, that really grinds my gears. <laughs> now, folks, you like PB&J sandwiches? Well, restaurant owners Matthew... And Josh McCahill in Chicago have created a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that's 350 bucks. Now, I don't know why they would do this. According to them, they had seen a sandwich here in San Diego years back that was 299 bucks. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich, 299 bucks from some random restaurant that's now closed here in SD that actually had bacon and bananas and blueberries and peanut butter and jelly and all this stuff and was held together with sterling silver toothpicks. And that's what made it 299 bucks. So these guys were thinking, now this is stupid, and I agree. Why would you have a sandwich that costs that much all because it's held together with expensive toothpicks? I mean, do you get to keep the toothpicks afterward? I hope so. But if not, let's create a sandwich, they thought, that is a PB&J that is actually worth 350 bucks. How is it worth that much? With gold leaf bread, so you're eating gold, there's one, all natural peanut butter, which is, as you know, a little bit more expensive than regular peanut butter, but not that much, but a jam made from red currant, which is specifically from France. It's the world's most expensive jam. Each seed is individually removed from this jam by hand, which is one of the reasons why it's so expensive. Don't ask me why you would even want jam that's that ridiculously high-priced when Oregon Marionberry jam is by far the best jam on the planet. And it has seeds in it, but that's all right because it's so dang good. And then also, they use a natural, super expensive honey. Uh, I'm not sure about the honey with the jam. I like peanut butter and honey sandwiches, yes. And I even like peanut butter, bananas, and honey sandwiches. 
But peanut butter, jelly, and honey? I'm not sure about that. But either way, according to these guys, this is the world's most expensive peanut butter and jelly sandwich at 350 bucks, And they'll probably win a Guinness Book of World Records little, you know, insert for, for what they've done here. And if you look at the picture of the PB&J, it's, it's massive. You know, it's like six or seven layers. And they make it look all fancy, but they also make it look sloppy so that you just want to gorge on this thing. And a portion of the proceeds from this sandwich will actually go to a children's charity, which I appreciate. I respect that. At first, I'm thinking $350 PB&J. You guys are assholes. But they're going to give some of the money to charity. That's okay. Plus, one of the McCahill brothers remembers when they were young, growing up, living off of PB&Js, and then just peanut butter sandwiches, and then just peanut butter. So he's lived poor in his life. He has been a poor guy before. Now he's flipping the script and slanging sandwiches at 350 bucks a pop, which you have to place the order for one day in advance for it to even be ready when you arrive. And the craziest part about this, the restaurant itself that these two brothers own in Chicago is called PB&J, but it stands for pizza, beer, and jukebox, which I guess those things do go together, but it does kind of confuse the customer if you hear a place called PB&J. I mean, I'm going to have to assume they revolve around peanut butter and jelly sandwiches if that's the name of the place. I'm going to have no idea it has something to do with beer or pizza or jukeboxes unless somebody describes it to me, which is why I don't think the name is great, but I still appreciate the $350 sandwich. If you're feeling frisky, folks, and you got some extra stimulus cash to blow and you happen to be in the Chicago area, check out PB&J and get an expensive PB&J from M&J McKay Hill. Folks, it's time for the portion of the Peter Gabbett podcast you all adore so dramatically, and that is Real Stories, brought to you by me, Peter Timothy Hankst, and Barbecue, that's B-B-Q-U-S-I-O-N. And speaking of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I'm also a big fan of grilled cheese sandwich. I like it. I like grilled cheese sandwiches. I like quesadillas, too. I even like white trash quesadillas when you make them with just plain gooey flour tortillas the ones that have the extra chew, like Mission or Guerrero or, you know, any of those. And you basically just put butter in a pan. You butter up both sides of the tortillas and you slap some sharp cheddar cheese in between. And you've got yourself a white trash quesadilla. It's sort of a nostalgia thing for me. I will never forget eating that as a kid because I was broke but there's another thing I will not forget eating as a kid that involves cheese and that exact correlation between the cheese and the quesadilla. One day, I was going to make quesadillas in the kitchen of my childhood home, and my brothers were like, hey, I want some too. Let's make a few of them. Grab the cheese and start grating it so that we have some grated cheese ready to go. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I grab a full brick of Tillamook medium cheddar cheese. Now, you guys know how big these bricks of cheese are. They're big. I grabbed a full brick of cheese, and I began grating cheese, and then my oldest brother, Paul, asks, wait, 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 uh, did, you, did you wash your hands before you started grating the cheese? 
And I'm thinking, oh, I should just come up with a lie real quick because I don't know what he's going to do. But now, nah, I mean, what's he going to do? He's just going to make me wash my hands. So I was like, no, no, no. You know, I didn't wash my hands. I'll go wash them now. And he's like, no, 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 that's okay. Instead of that, you're going to stand here and eat that entire brick of cheese no matter what or I'll beat the shit out of you. Now, I had this level of fear inside me of my older brothers because... They were cruel. They did some really messed up stuff to me. So I expected the beating I would receive if I didn't eat all this cheese would be far worse than the stomach ache I would get from eating an entire brick of cheese. So I decided it was in my best interest to take option number one, and that's eat the entire brick of cheese that I had just touched with dirty hands to satisfy my brother's sick and twisted enjoyment of torturing me and I I just started eating so I took a gnaw off the corner you know and I'm chewing on this just thick pieces of cheddar cheese and I take another gnaw off the other corner and I start turning this brick of cheese into a circle of cheese that I've been gnawing each and every crevice of and I eat like a third of an entire brick of cheese before I start feeling the oils from the cheese inside me and just the sheer amount of lactose that I just ingested causing me a panic inside my stomach. And I start trying to give up or or like setting the cheese down and he's in my face. You better eat all that cheese or you're getting beat. You better eat it all. Don't you stop eating that cheese. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's making me do this. He's so mean. Screw him. I'm going to vomit all this cheese all over him. So I kept eating it and I kept eating it until there was like seriously an eighth of a brick left. I had eaten seven eighths of an entire brick of cheese. Now it might not have been a brand new brick. I'm sure it had been opened by somebody else earlier that week for something some other cheese related endeavor. And it was probably, you know, maybe two thirds of an entire brick. But when you picture those like actual loafs, like the cheese loaf. I'm not talking about the little medium, small, you know, Springfield brick of cheese that you get from the store for like $3.99. I'm talking a $9 Tillamook medium cheddar brick of cheese that I consumed so much of. I, I didn't want cheese for like an entire year after that. I had the cheese sweats. I was sweating cheese as I ate more. He was just yelling at me and forcing me to down the cheese. And I'm getting so sick to my stomach and he didn't care. He wanted to just make me eat this cheese because he enjoyed the torment. I don't know what his deal was. But I started just mowing this cheese, just trying to get it over with. And I could not take another bite. There was like almost none left at the end. And the funniest part about all this was how pissed my mom was that we had eaten so much cheese that she had just purchased because we were always on a budget. We didn't have a lot of money. The fact that we even were able to buy Tillamook cheese, it must have been on sale or whatever because typically speaking, we're doing Kraft or we're doing Western Family was a popular brand up there, but it's basically a knockoff brand of everything else. You know, there was Western Family cereals too, which were like even worse than Malto Meal. I know Malto Meal is like the number one knockoff of all regular cereal brands. Western Family was even worse. At least this was Tillamook cheese. 
So it was at, at the beginning of this, it was easy to eat because it's like, hey, I'm eating delicious Tillamook cheese. But by the end, I was disgusted with myself. My insides were so tore up and I, I probably didn't shit for like a month because of sheer cheese related constipation. And I must say, I will never forget that day at this, at this point in my life. I, I wash my hands before I touch my own cheese when there's nobody around. Because for some reason, I'm just, I'm so scarred that I have decided I can't even touch cheese unless my hands are clean. And that did teach me a lifelong lesson. So whatever he had in mind to fulfill that day, whatever prophecy he wanted to fulfill by making me eat this cheese, I guess it worked. Congratulations to you. But at the same time, oh my gosh. You're one twisted and sadistic freak for making me eat. I mean, I could have just cut the edges off of the cheese that I had touched with my bare hand and kept the inside. But that wasn't good enough for my brothers. They wanted to make me eat all the cheese. So I did. And I barely survived. I appreciate you listening to the Peter Gabbett Podcast today, folks. It means the world to me to have listeners like you. I hope you have a fantastic afternoon. And I will talk to you tomorrow. One of the most laid-back and influential bands of all time is Sublime. Now, they created an entire style of music known as reggae punk, combination of punk rock and reggae, super popular in the Southern California area, especially Long Beach, where Sublime started. But here is one of my faves from Sublime called Garden Grove. I know you've heard it. Sing along and enjoy.
Finding roaches in the pot. Oh.